What's going on, family? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I'm your man, Gerard Bonner. I hope you are doing super well. Good grief. There's so much going on. What a weekend this was in pro wrestling. This is one of those WrestleMania-esque weekends in terms of major events happening, big time crowds and lots of things that we're talking about so we're going to do our best to recap an absolutely crazy weekend in pro wrestling and we'll hit as much as we possibly can first as always thank you guys so much for your continued support of all things connected to the faction this means the absolute world to us shout out to all of you who are following us on the socials instagram facebook and twitter at the faction show big shouts to all of you as well who are subscribed to our podcast whether that is on google spotify apple thank you so much these things mean the entire world and if you're not subscribed hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to us and if you're not getting our notifications for when we drop content and the like go ahead and make sure you're doing that as well so there's a lot to get to Let's start, of course, with the event that kicked the weekend off, and that is Clash at the Castle, which took place in Cardiff, Wales, 62,000 strong, and it was a major, major thing. The kickoff match was a six-man tag that saw Madcap Moss and the Street Profits defeat Theory and Alpha Academy. Then we get to the main show, and it saw the team now going by the name of Damage Control, that's Bailey, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky, defeating Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss. Gunther retains the Intercontinental Championship by defeating Sheamus. Liv Morgan retains the SmackDown Women's title against Shayna Baszler. Edge and Rey Mysterio defeat the Judgment Day. Seth Freakin' Rollins defeats Matt Riddle. And the undisputed WWE Universal title match saw Roman Reigns continue his two-year-long reign as he defeated Drew McIntyre. All right, so I'll do my best to hit the highlights from this since there is so much to talk about from this past weekend. First of all, let's give it up to Triple H, another amazing big-time show. This one being his second premium live event since, of course, the exit of Vince McMahon. And this was big. This felt big. Everything about it was significant. Now, here's an interesting thing to consider. That this show had larger attendance than Royal Rumble and SummerSlam. That's a big deal, folks. So... I definitely think that WWE is going to be paying much more attention to their UK and European audience because this was major. It felt big. It looked big. It was big. Shout out to them. Now, what's also interesting to me, and I really started noticing this outside of WrestleMania, saw this at Royal Rumble, saw this at SummerSlam, the minimalism relative to the staging right and so I don't know if that's a cost-cutting effect or if it's a better way to get more folks into the venue but basically having people come out of the smaller already designed entrance way and you're doing more things with that versus bringing a bunch of staging very neat uh it's interesting I think it's a great use of the venue And what it does is it keeps things unpredictable. I'm a guy who likes the big staging, but the kind of creativity that this is forcing is not a bad thing. And again, it allows them to get more folks in the stadium. So that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. 
And again, WWE is, I believe, the absolute best at doing big events, major production. Like, it was just fantastic. Shout out to them. So some of the real highlights here. First of all, all the matches were amazing. Gunther and Sheamus, we knew it was going to be hard-hitting, but boy, did they live up to and exceed, I would dare say, our expectations. What an incredible match that was. And I mean, it could have gone either way. Gunther gets the win. Sheamus gets incredible respect when it's over. The shocker, well, there were a couple of shockers for me. For one, I was shocked to see Liv Morgan cleanly defeat Shayna Baszler. I think this was necessary for Liv's title reign if we're going to believe that Liv Morgan can be the SmackDown Women's Champion, then she needed a less controversial victory over Shayna Baszler than she had over Ronda Rousey. And so that happened. And with that, I thought we saw an also very strong Shayna Baszler show up as well. So shout out to Liv Morgan. Again, I was kind of shocked by it. And I don't know what this means. This is one of those cases where I feel like we were very much into the chase for Liv Morgan. I don't know what kind of champion we want her to be. But this win was necessary for her. So congratulations to her. Certainly one of the big shocks of the night is finally, and I do mean finally, Dominic Mysterio turning on his dad and Edge, and he waited until after the match to do it. I thought the timing of that was brilliant. I think we all were expecting him perhaps to turn and cost him the match. When he did not, I definitely felt like, well, he's never going to turn. Like, let's just get the thought out of our head. And just as I got there, boom, here comes the turn from Dominic Mysterio. Let me also say this. What this has subsequently shown us about the Judgment Day is, first and foremost, give things a chance to materialize. I know we all thought it was odd when they got rid of Edge. Where could this thing go? It seemed like they were ships just aimlessly moving in the night. But then what we discover, and what has been really just an amazing bit of storytelling, is who the real influencer is in the Judgment Day. And it's not a knock to Finn, and it's not a knock to Damian Priest, but it's all about that Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley did something special and has been doing something special. She's been the influencer. Yeah, that's absolutely who she is in the Judgment Day. And now getting Dominic to turn to the dark side. Oh, man. And if you watched Monday Night Raw last night, you saw him come out in the dark gear with his hair slicked back with no emotion right by the side of Rhea Ripley oh it is beautiful to see this is my kind of storytelling and speaking of my kind of storytelling let me go back to that Gunther match because I overlooked a really important point and that is this Giovanni Vinci showing up to reunite Imperium this makes so much sense considering that Sheamus has the brawling brutes and those guys you know were basically outnumbering Gunther three to two now we have a potential battle that continues where we got six-man tags and let me tell you for those who were unfamiliar with Imperium 
Imperium ran roughshod over NXT UK. And who can forget NXT Worlds Collide at the top of 2020 when it was a four-person team of Imperium. They had Alexander Wolf with them as well. And they defeated a four-person team of the Undisputed Era. Guys, you want to talk about major? That was a big deal. A super big deal. So with that said, to see Imperium back together warms my heart. Riddle and Rollins, another great match, super personal. We've not seen the end of this, and they definitely delivered. And I'm telling you now, when we start having the conversation about wrestler of the year, I'm sure Roman Reigns' name will probably come up because obviously he has been champion now for over two years, a historic reign. But I think we have to consider Seth Rollins in the conversation. He's been involved in some of the biggest feuds in WWE all year long, Marquee matches all year long top of the card all year long making folks look amazing all year long and with all of that he finally walks away with a win on the big stage so congratulations to Seth Rollins Roman Reigns Drew McIntyre I hope we can appreciate what Roman Reigns is giving to us what he has done in the last two years is nothing short of incredible and to defeat Drew McIntyre in Drew McIntyre's home turf with 62,000 fans screaming like crazy. That was special. And the added touch of Solo Sokoa coming from NXT to continue and join the bloodline. Oh, this is beautiful to me. Again, these are the details. These are the stories. These are the things we like to see. And it makes me extremely happy. And what a great way to kick off the weekend with the Clash at the castle from there we head of course back to the states for sunday and nxt worlds collide now that took place of course in orlando with a lot on the line it was the last official card for nxt uk and the question would be for nxt uk would they walk away holding any of the championships now that titles would be merged well i'm going to talk about the match everybody's talking about last Okay, we'll do that last. So with that said, Pretty Deadly walks out of NXT Worlds Collide as the new unified tag team champions, defeating the Creed Brothers, Gallus, and Brooks and Jensen. We also would see Mandy Rose walk out as the unified NXT Women's Champion, defeating Blair Davenport and Mako Satomura. Then from there in the tag team title match on the women's side, Caden Carter and Katana Chance defeat Dewdrop and Nikki Ash. And then Braun Breaker defeats Tyler Bate to become the unified NXT champion. But with all of that, the thing that everybody's talking about is Carmelo Hayes defeating Ricochet to retain the NXT North American Championship. So I'm going to go on record. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it here specifically. And that is that I believe this match between Carmelo Hayes and Ricochet rivals, and I would go so far as to say is even greater than the match that put Ricochet on the map for a lot of people, and that was his match against Will Ospreay. Now, I know some would say, now, you're reaching on that one. No, I'm really not, and here's why. For one, this was on a massive scale. Two, we've not seen anything like this under the auspices of the WWE. Three, 
Carmelo Hayes is doing this in NXT, not on Raw, not on SmackDown, and for Carmelo Hayes defeats a SmackDown superstar who just recently came off of an Intercontinental title run. Yeah, this was big, folks. This was really, really big. And the question now is, who's next for Carmelo Hayes? What's left for him to do in NXT? Should he become the NXT champion and defeat Braun Breaker? Well, I don't even know that he has to do that, as he's really the face of NXT. He's who we're tuning in to see. He's incredible. He just cannot seem to lose. He is the true A champion. And I loved every bit of this. Now, some other details that happened. First of all, this whole thing with Diamond Mine to find out that Damon Kemp is really the one who was behind the implosion of the Diamond Mine. Him turning on the Creed Brothers, costing them the tag titles. What a move that none of us expected. It was, again, a weekend filled with surprises. And that was a massive surprise. With that said, could it finally be time for us to put respect on the name of Mandy Rose? She walked in to NXT Worlds Collide as the NXT Women's Champion and walked out with both belts, defeating Blair Davenport and Mako Satamora, holding her own in that match. I personally wanted to see Satamora or Davenport win just because I have a soft spot for NXT UK. And considering how amazing Satamora is and how amazing Davenport is, I thought that this win could give Mandy Rose the opportunity to head to the main roster. However, in comma, there's a part of me that feels as though they could be giving her the opportunity to have an even longer reign and perhaps move to the number two spot of the NXT Women's Championship reigns. And to do that, she has to beat the 414-day reign of Shayna Baszler. So that's another 100 days from now. So we'll see how that looks. 100 days, three months, could put her at the Royal Rumble, perhaps. So we'll definitely be looking at that. Again, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of... Braun Breaker, but he's still your NXT champion. And so I'll be intrigued to see where all of this goes for Braun Breaker and for Tyler Bate, who I think has a strong future. And perhaps we could see Tyler Bate show up on Raw or SmackDown unless there's more business for him to tend to in NXT unless he also decides to be a part of NXT Europe. So lots of questions, lots of direction potentially for things to go, but by all accounts, an incredible weekend for the WWE and NXT. So that means, of course, when we come back, we're going to have the conversation about AEW All Out and then the media scrum heard around the world. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were going to start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see 
all the things that he was doing. They were starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How do we get on Southern an Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people. I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Hey, yes. How about that? Oh. The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. A few minutes later, it was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year's going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a win, Attention wrestling fans, join us Friday, September 9th for the final stop on the road to our anniversary show. It's SHW 43, Dishonor. Both the Southern Honor and Southern Fried Tag Team titles will be on the line as All-Star Special battles Happy Madness in a winner-take-all bunkhouse brawl match. AC Mack defends his IWTV World Championship against Kyle Matthews. Former SHW champion Owen Knight goes one-on-one -on -one with Bad News and Tattoos Carly Bravo. And in our main event, Gunnar Miller and the Bloodbath Behemoth Tank team together for the first time ever to take on Contra members Cruel and Joe Black. Also in action, Chip Day, Adam Jacobs, the Priest of Punishment, Judas, and more. Tickets go on sale at the door the night of the show starting at 5 p.m. Doors open at 7, bell time at 8. Don't miss the last stop before still here for SHW, an experience like no other. All right, guys, so the event that was actually the first of these three scheduled for the weekend was All Out. All Out had been scheduled for a while, but of course, WWE's events happened and they were super cool. Now, with that said, wrapping up the weekend is All Out. All Out, let's just start by saying it was a five-hour pay-per-view. And I say five hours because at 7 p.m. Eastern began the zero hour. And in the zero hour, there were four full matches, cover to cover. Started with the mixed tag match, for the AAA Mixed Tag Team Championships, it saw Sammy Guevara and Ty Mello defeat Ortiz and Ruby Soho. Ruby Soho ended up getting a broken nose in this match and was dropped on her head. And yeah, it was really, really scary for sure. But that's how the pay-per-view started. We then saw Hook defeat Angelo Parker to retain the FTW Championship. Pack retained the All-Atlantic Championship against Kip Sabian. And then in a super physical match, Eddie Kingston defeats Tomohoro Ishii. From there, the casino ladder match sees the Joker actually win the ladder match in very controversial fashion. From there, some other matches that we saw took place. Chris Jericho defeats Brian Danielson. 
Darby Allen, Sting, and Miro defeat the House of Black. FTR and Wardlow defeat Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns. Powerhouse Hobbs defeats Ricky Starks. Christian Cage defeats Jungle Boy. Swerve in Our Glory retains the tag titles against the acclaimed. Jade Cargill retains a TBS title against Athena. The Elite defeats Adam Page in the Dark Order to become the inaugural AEW Trios champions. Tony Storm defeats Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Hikaru Shida to become the interim AEW Women's World Champion. And in the main event, CM Punk defeats John Moxley to regain the AEW World Championship. So some takeaways from this pay-per-view. I will just reiterate, and I hate starting it this way, but I will. It's too long. It's too long. We had, what, 12, 13 matches on this particular card, and five hours of wrestling is a lot of wrestling in one particular card. It's why WrestleMania moved to two days. It's why Wrestle Kingdom moved to two days, at least for three years. You know, the understanding that a five-hour pay-per-view is a lot for fans in-house to digest. It's a lot for fans at home to digest. I think this would have been better served to do one of two things. Either I think you take this pay-per-view and cut it in half and put only the great matches that matter on here and then give the other matches a spot to happen on Dynamite, do another special episode, something of that nature. Or, and I shudder to say this, Maybe if All Out is your WrestleMania of sorts, then make it a two-day event. I mean, you'd already spent three events in Chicago at that arena anyway, Dynamite, Rampage, and All Out. Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know if you end up double chart. Like, I don't know how you do it. But I do think that even though AEW has pay-per-views four times a year, if it's going to be a five-hour investment, number one, you need to make it worth it. And number two, I do think you need to rethink that. Five hours is a long time. With that said, a couple of things that I think happened really, really well here. The casino ladder match, while there were elements of it from a participant perspective that I thought didn't make sense. For instance, why is the Ring of Honor pure champion and world champion in a match for an opportunity for the AEW world title? In a ladder match at that, and the ladder match itself is not something that a pure wrestler would be involved in. So just some continuity issues there that didn't make sense. The way that things happened with the Joker was pretty creative for one. And I have what I believe is how the pay-per-view should have ended. The pay-per-view should have ended with the lights going out if Punk is retaining. The lights go out, the lights come back on. You have that entire conglomerate of folks in the ring beating down CM Punk. Then the Joker shows up still as the Joker, turns his chip in, wants his title match tonight, has the title match, defeat CM Punk, and then as Justin Roberts is saying, your new AEW champion, the Joker, then he takes his hand, lifts the mask up for it to be revealed as MJF. I would have saved the voicemail for Dynamite. I would have used that as collateral damage against Tony Khan. That would have been my way of holding the company hostage. Like there were a lot of ways to happen. I think the fact that it ended with MJF just staring from the stage without the rest of the faction, 
I don't think that was executed as well as it could have been, given the fact that this is going to be the return of MJF. So that was super interesting. In terms of some other things that happened, Swerve in Our Glory versus The Acclaimed, you could argue, was the match of the night. Great, great showing there for both tag teams. I think this might be the best match we've ever seen from The Acclaimed. And obviously, everybody loves The Acclaimed, and that's for sure. We're going to see if they really are ready to be tag team champions. I'm not sure yet. I'm definitely thinking Swerve in Our Glory was the right move to retain the titles. Jade and Athena, four minutes and 20 seconds for this one. We waited since double or nothing to see this match. And I just wish it had gone longer. I think Athena has more to bring to the table. And perhaps if it wasn't a clean victory, we could then make a case for a rematch between these two. But now I don't know what happens with Athena. And I don't know who the next competitor is for Jade Cargill. So that gets interesting. The Elite wins the six-man tag titles, the trios championships. I think it was a great match. Adam Page accidentally clotheslining one of the members of the Dark Order, costing them the title. I think you've got something there in terms of a story that you could rock with. So, uh, yeah, the Elite, I don't think there was any question that they'd be the trio's champions. And what happens with them? Well, that's going to be interesting. And a lot of that is determinant on what happened after the pay-per-view, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Congratulations to Tony Storm, who now holds the AEW Interim Women's World Championship. And I've told you before, but I'll say it again, not a big fan of this interim championship. To me, the interim championship is like being the substitute teacher. You come in, you do all of this work, you keep the class going, but you do it with the expectation that, hey, you're not going to be the teacher. The teacher gets to come back and do what they want. Now, of course, you have these unification matches which sometimes it means something sometimes it doesn't but I don't like the idea of an interim champion let the person be the fully recognized champion and if indeed someone leaves because of injury or whatever then they get a crack when they come back I think everybody's good with that but I think it's insulting to the wrestlers who are doing the work while the champ is out for them to be considered interim or as I like to call them substitute teachers with that said, there's a lot of other things I can jump on here, but you all really want us to talk about the scrum that happened afterwards. CM Punk, in the media scrum following, goes on a tirade where he throws under the bus Colt Cabana, the EVPs for AEW, Hangman Page, even says that the owner of the company is giving him little children to work with. It's also rumored and reported that there was a fight that broke out afterwards between Punk and his crew and the elite. Neither of them are really talking about it because there's pending legal action potentially. <sighs> I'm going to choose my words very carefully, but I will say this. For all of the rumors that have been going on around about what are things like in AEW, is backstage really in turmoil? This media scrum showed us an awful lot. And I know there are already those who are going, oh my God, it's a work, blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, watch the media scrum. I don't think that anybody in AEW is that creative. No. Secondly, I'm not sure storyline where you go with mentioning someone who's not working for the company anymore in Colt Cabana. 
where things go with burying the EVPs who just won the trios tag team titles. Are you going after the trios tag titles? And you're supposed to be the most popular person in the company. So why are you burying four of the most popular people in the company as well? That doesn't seem to bode well for the champion who just won the title in their own hometown. I will say this. I feel like we are seeing WCW's implosion all over again. And I was having a conversation with one of my my good wrestling cohorts. And I wanted to remind everybody of this. If you remember the heyday of WCW. Now, remember, let's 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 start here. WCW walks away from the NWA circa 1991 or so, right? They walk away from the NWA. They have some tough times for the first couple of years, but they hit 1995 with the debut of Nitro. By now, Hogan is already there. Savage is already there. But it is Lex Luger and the start of Nitro that starts really turning things around for WCW. Then, of course, there's 96, where the Outsiders show up, and we're off to the races. The Monday Night Wars are killing. It's an amazing time in the business. WCW gets super hot, winning the Monday Night War for 83 consecutive weeks, which is a year and a half, almost two years. But I think a lot of people, and myself included, When you think of WCW, you primarily think of 96 to 99, the start of 99, because at the start of 99 was the infamous finger poke of doom, January 1999, where Hulk Hogan regains the world championship in one of the most controversial championship moments of all time. Not long after that, WWE starts pulling away because WCW is dying from self-inflicted gun wounds. And that sounds violent, but that's ultimately what it was. You had the Warner Company not sure whether or not they wanted to still hold on to wrestling. And by the time we get to March of 2001, WCW is bought by Vince McMahon. So basically, we see going from September of 95 to March of 2001, barely a six-year run for WCW before WCW ends up folding. And let me be clear, WCW didn't fold because the WWE was head and shoulders above them in terms of in-ring content. They folded because they did not have an infrastructure to properly manage what was going on. They wanted to win, but when they were winning, they weren't prepared to manage the win. And so I will say this, AEW is going to need to make some massive changes. Tony Khan is going to have to, and I say this with all due respect, he's going to have to stand up and really lead this company. And part of leading this company is not allowing your world champion to embarrass you the way he did at that press conference. If CM Punk gets away with no sort of punishment, no sort of anything, then it's proof who's really running AEW. It's not Tony Khan, it's CM Punk. And so this is a thing. And I know, again, there are those talking about work, shoot, work, shoot. Listen, 
all of the rumors that were going on, I don't think that they are so together where they'd go, now, after the pay-per-view that we just spent all this money on, let's have everybody talk about the scrum, which you can watch for free. Doesn't make any sense at all. So with that said, we're going to keep our eyes on what's happening in AEW because it's a serious situation there. I want AEW to win. But this is mirroring the Monday Night Wars in the craziest of ways. WWE has their head focused. They're producing finally some great product. And again, it was great content from WWE that made us turn the channel. So this is going to be interesting to watch. I want to get your thoughts on the state of AEW right now. Hit us up on the socials at The Faction Show. Tonight, of course, NXT. We're going to see what happens there as NXT follows up from NXT Worlds Collide. Then, of course, you've got Dynamite happening tomorrow, which will likely be must-see TV from the return of MJF to what else could potentially happen on live TV there. Who knows? Should be very interesting. That'll make for a very interesting week. Oh, and I haven't talked about Raw, so I've got a spoiler for you. Braun Strowman is back in WWE. That was crazy. How it happened was nuts. Yeah. So again, WWE keeping their nose to the grind, staying focused, doing what they need to do to remain head and shoulders above the rest. All right. We're going to get out of here. Have an absolutely amazing day. And representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I need my people here